Welcome to the Founder Friday podcast series from Canopy, where we interview inspiring entrepreneurs and innovators about their experiences and seek to find out what makes them tick. This series was recorded live as a webinar and then converted into a podcast so we can all enjoy it away from our screens. All right, let's dive into this episode. So here we are, everybody, live and unleashed. We are on Founder Friday, and we are a four today. So we've got the star of the show is Brittany, and the three of us are going to ask her lots of questions. Um, just before we introduce you, Brittany, could I just ask Annie and then Sophia to introduce yourselves? And Annie, if you could take your hat off anytime you like. No, the hat's not coming <laughs> It's, it's glued to my head. All right, I can, I can just start. I'm Sophia from BGI. I'm head of projects and marketing for BGI, which is a, a, actually an MIT um, spin-out uh, with the Portuguese government. So we pretty much uh, take startups from here to Boston. That's how actually I, I met Brittany, because uh, some of our, our startups aim to enter FMAS Challenge. Fantastic. So glad you can be here as well after your own Founder Friday interview a few uh, few weeks ago. So thanks for making the effort to be here today. Thank and Annie? Hey, guys. Um, I think a lot of you in Canopy probably know me, but I'm Annie Gupta. I've been with Canopy for about two years, two and a half years. Met Stuart in 2017. He kind of roped me in. Um, been in Lisbon for two years. I was a nomad before. I've been in tech for a long time. I mentor startups here and work with... Um, scale-ups and growth startups uh, in different capacities and i've had my own businesses so happy to be here and and the yankees will get the you know the people up north sometime soon we'll, we'll get yeah them. yeah we, you're in the wrong house for the that kind of conversation i'm sorry i've got the power of the cross i've got the power of the cross <laughs> right. so Brittany, over to you why don't you tell everybody who you are a little bit of your your background Sure. So thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, it's really good to be here um, and to see a couple of you again. Ani, it is, I suppose, good to meet you, even though you're trying to <laughs> play games with that hat and all of your, your poke in the bear. But, okay. Um, so my name is Brittany McDonough, and I'm the Senior Director um, of Global Partnerships at Mass Challenge. And Mass Challenge is a global startup accelerator. So we are founded in Boston, so our headquarters is in Boston. I'm from uh, from Boston. I'm based here. We have accelerators in uh, a number of other cities, both globally and nationally. So in Austin, Texas, Houston, Texas, Rhode Island, Mexico City, Luzon, Switzerland, and in Israel. So those are for our early stage programs. And we work with both early stage startups and growth stage companies. So early stage, by our definition, are companies that have less than $2 million in annual revenue and have raised less than $1 million in private capital. So we take that determination for the stage of the company because you can be a very early stage uh, life sciences company, for example, and still need lots of support and have raised a significant amount of money. Or you could be a true idea stage company uh, and have absolutely no funding whatsoever. So we want to help companies across the spectrum. And we are industry agnostic. So we have companies that run the gamut from life sciences to clean energy to food and beverage companies. Um, Mass Challenge also has ecosystem development activities, and those are what I run. So I run all of our international engagements, and uh, we have a number of really strategic partnerships with great government partners, institutions, and foundations. And it's really exciting to be able to work directly with founders and the people that are making decisions to run uh, ecosystem growth opportunities. So, for example, right now, 
we're running our impulse program, which is based in Morocco, and it's an ag tech program. And when you're looking at some of the biggest challenges that are facing humans in general, not just one particular country or region or nation, uh, agriculture, the entire food industry, the pipeline for uh, sustainable sustainable growth, uh, that affects all of us. And so these companies are primarily based in Africa, with actually one company being based in Portugal uh, and then one from Brazil. And we're running now that program entirely virtually. So we normally would have a lot of in-person boot camps and curriculum, and we've now gone 100% virtual. So that is like a, a change that we're excited to see. And it's made the program actually more engaging and more international. So if you're a company that's virtual and you want to mentor that's from the Mexico program, or the Australia program, you can tap in and we're trying to make all those connections. So um, a little bit of a mass challenge. Um, I'm, I always feel weird talking for too long. So Stuart, I'm going to stop for a sec. Tell me to keep going or not. You know, it's a real treat for me to have you here today, right? So apart from being a raving fan of yours, I'm a huge fan of Mass Challenge as well. And uh, uh, as I've told a number of people on these things before, John John Hawthorne is a bit of an inspiration for me as well. So like on a personal basis, he's uh, helped me lift my, my sights and uh, and look further into what we can do and stuff. So really, real treat to have you here today. Thank you very much. Why don't you talk a little bit about who you are, though, as well as Mass Challenge? Like what... I know you from like the state government stuff before and then into Mass Challenge. So why don't you tell people a bit about that? Sure. So I'm from Boston. I grew up here in the city and I actually found my way to Mass Challenge in a very different way. So um, I came from the government and I worked for both Governor Patrick and Governor Baker in the Massachusetts Office of International Trade and Investment, which is a lot of words to say uh, we ran the... Um, foreign direct investment and the export promotion activities on behalf of the state. So it was a, like amazing job. It was one of my favorite things I've ever done um, because we literally were there to be the link between companies from the Commonwealth to the rest of the world. So we would both run the governor's trade missions, but also work with all the consulates and the trade offices, the larger firms that were opening the city, but also with entrepreneurs and startups that were interested in coming to Massachusetts. So there's a lot of opportunity, certainly for doing R&D, if you're uh, in the life sciences space or another, a number of other industries, if you want joint partnerships. And actually, Sophia's come uh, and been at MIT. So there's a lot of activities like this where folks are coming from one particular region and coming into the city. So that's how I got involved in entrepreneurship in general. Otherwise, I'm a very like governmenty person. <laughs> All of my other roles were 100% government and um looking at what Mass Challenge was doing was really attractive to me. So the, the the funny story about how I actually got to Mass Challenge starts in 20, my God, 2014 at this point. Um, we had a trade mission to Mexico City. Then there was an MOU, uh, a memorandum of understanding for economic development between the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and Mexico City. And then a year later in 2015, uh, Mass Challenge was very seriously considering launching in Mexico City. They had run, or we had run, a, a number of bridge activities, and there's just great entrepreneurs across the country. Um, and the organization was looking at having this big announcement event. And the officials from Mexico City were really excited because this was something that they could hold up and champion as a win for the MOU. And we needed a representative from the governor's office in Massachusetts to go down for the signing and the launch of Mass Challenge Mexico. And I was the person that went down for that. And that's kind of how I ended up at Mass Challenge 
almost two years later as an actual staff person. So you never really know where these things will take you. I think um, the best part about working both in government and then for an organization like Mass Challenge is the remit is very much about building communities and it's not uh, about just picking winners and losers. It's building up structure. So that's what's fun to me. Very cool. So, Sophia, what do you want to ask Brittany today? Well, I'm going to ask kind of, um, uh, maybe it's more like a hobby, but I, I checked on li- on LinkedIn that you used to be a music teacher. And I was like, what? So she came from the politics area. Uh, she right now manages one of the most uh, important, even worldwide, accelerators. And she also plays music. So I, I'm actually curious. What do you play? Do you still play it? And uh, how do you combine these two things, the crazy life of helping, helping entrepreneurs and scale abroad and play some music? Yes. Oh, my God. This is a great question that no one has ever asked you before. Um, so I, like I said, I grew up in Boston and uh, Boston actually is a pretty musical town. People don't really, I think, recognize that Boston has both um Berkeley College of Music, but also the Boston Conservatory, the New England Conservatory, they've now merged, um, but has a symphony and has has many um, artists and whatnot that have come out of the city and people that at least come here for um, for school and then move on. And there's Grammy winners left, right and center coming out of Boston. So the other thing is I, you know, an 80s, 90s kid and New Jack Swing was like the thing. So um, I don't know if anyone on this call remembers like, um, any of another bad creation or even go back to the seventies, Donna summer, like all, these are all Boston people. Um, Bobby Brown all day. He went to my high school. Like that, it's just like part of the culture of the city, especially when I grew up and I ended up going to a school specifically that was a math and science school, but had a great music program. And so I then from there went on and I did the five week programs at Berkeley. And so I was at Berkeley from, 2002 to 2007, um, which is really cool. So I, when I was taking the decision of what I was going to do for college, I was just like, go to Berkeley and do music and do the thing or find a job that I might be able to like, it's more reliable and, and steady and all that fun stuff. So um, I played a number of instruments. So my first uh, primary instrument was the harp, actually. Um, really? Weird thing to say, um, 20 years later. Um, so I played the harp and then I played the steel pan. Um, so uh, Boston actually has a really significant West Indian community and we have both Carnival and Juve. So uh, there's just a big community around, uh, so specifically like a Trini um, and overall just West Indian community. And so I played steel pan for years. And then in 2007, I started teaching um, music theory, percussion, and steel pan. And I taught from 2007 to 2009. Um, yeah, so it was great. I, I taught, uh, I taught. I don't know if anyone on the call is from Boston or, or is familiar with Boston, but I taught um, at the Timothy Middle School. Uh, and then I also um, worked at a couple other schools for like after school programs and stuff. So it was Do great. You still play? Do you still play? I haven't played in years. So I, um, my really, really good friend, his name is Charleston Sargent. Um, he's just a phenomenal musician. He, has perfect pitch, which is like, if you ever meet someone with perfect pitch, it's just like, a, it is a genuine superpower. Like, it's incredible to hear him. Um, but so he still runs a, a steel pan band in Boston. 
So the last time I played was probably three years ago. Like it's it's not a thing I do often. I wish I was still playing though. Yeah. I'd just like to raise my hand and say I absolutely do not have perfect pitch, okay? Even slightly <laughs> close to anywhere near pitch. <laughs> but great insights, great yeah. insights. It's so, a wild I, thing. I, I start- I, I'm wondering what Annie's going to bring with his first question. And I'd just like to point out that my first ever baseball game was Red Sox versus Yankees. Oh, so let's well. see, okay, let's see and, what happens. And, and how did it go for you? Uh, it was like the longest ever game I've ever been to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we were we were super lucky because uh, my wife and I we we'd never been to a baseball game before, and so she got us really great seats behind the dugout. In fact, behind the uh, the Yankees dugout, so we heard all the swearing and all the oh. stuff going on. And, uh, yeah, it, was, it was really good. It was a really good game, but it went to a tenth inning, so it was a really long day. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, baseball yeah. is the first sport, I think, opening up in the States, right? I think. That's some, I was reading about it somewhere. But anyway, okay, I'm going to go with my question. So, um, great to meet you, Whitney. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, your background in music. Maybe um, you guys could... Uh, my question is around how have going virtual has changed the, the program and the format. And, you know, you mentioned you're in four different cities. So does that still matter? Because you're now virtual so it could be from anywhere and the program is virtual so how do you how do you how do you manage that now yeah that's actually a really good question because we're literally in that process right now so um with the impulse program that's based the the partners are based in morocco all of the startups are across uh the african region though so they were in the normal process going to boot camps in morocco in boston and then in switzerland and we took the decision to cancel the Boston. Um, oh, I disappeared. Oh, I'm back now. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, so we canceled the Boston program. And what would have been accomplished within a week and some change in Boston is now actually spread across a six-week accelerator virtually. Um, so it, it actually just takes a lot more time to get all this done because you don't want people just sitting on Zoom calls all day long because um, you actually don't have any good return from that. It's not a good investment of time for the startups. So they're meeting twice a week for the next six weeks instead of doing one week in Boston. And for uh, their final demo day, we actually haven't uh, decided. um, Oh, I think I'm talking too fast. Sorry. I can can understand uh, Brittany fine. Diana, Um, I have no idea what she can know. So we are working out what the demo day will look like. Initially, we were going to have a, a huge event at at the university in Ben Gurir in Morocco with the partners from OCP, with some other Mass Challenge partners. And now we obviously can't do that, but we want the startups to have some type of engagement with with the public. So we're looking at maybe doing uh, videoed pitches. And then putting them online and then having people be able to log in and see all the startups pitches and contact them directly. So we're still actually working out some of the details for the virtual activity. To your question about does it matter where you're from? So all of the Mass Challenge programs by default are international programs. So normally between 20 and 30% of the cohorts are international. And with, with the change of going virtual, the biggest difference is that the curriculum will be centralized. So if there's a pitch competition or a pitch prep or a marketing and branding session, instead of having it just the hundred startup cohort from Boston, it will be 
roughly the 300 or so startups that are based out of Austin and Boston that can all do it together. The other thing is we're still doing very specific programming per market. So uh, we do a lot of work to intentionally connect people in the city they're in. So there'll be a lot of really specific Boston activity, Austin, Houston, et cetera. And that will be centered on just the companies that are in that accelerator, because normally uh, we see a lot of companies that use the accelerator as a chance to explore the market. So if you're not from Boston, you can use the Boston accelerator to have mentors and, and build your network. And we want to make sure that the accelerator is still doing that for startups and founders. So, so one question, I, I think that's right now, um, I think that Stewie is also having some troubles. Uh, but my question would be more directed with, uh, let's say, the A people. Like, what, what would be for you people that you like to work with? And uh, obviously you have to work with, with people from, you know, many places, different cities, different countries. So, but some of the, like in the end of the day, there's some characteristics that might run across all places. So what is for you an A-team? What would you be looking for um, when you're trying to choose, is this the right person for me to start working with or is this the right person to enter at the accelerator? Um, and uh, how do you choose these? Uh, even like as a gut feeling, do you have any gut feeling when you meet people? What, what is it? Yeah, on the startup side or on the partner side? Um, um, so as a yeah. non- Oh, so as a nonprofit, we have partners that are funding partners. And so uh, normally they're either governments or corporates or foundations. And on the startup side, Mass Challenge doesn't actually pick the companies that get into the program. So we make sure that the judges that are part of uh, the pool that'll get the companies to, to come to a decision if they're getting into the program, those judges come from both the partner networks investors that are in our networks, and then usually folks from academia, a combination of experts and industry. So the judging for the startups is taken out of the hands of that challenge and given to experts, and that's important to us. And then on the partner side, we certainly decide who we work with and who we don't. And it's um, to answer your question for partners, we look on the government side for, for specific leaders that are responsible for economic development, because we believe that startups really are what will lead to economic growth and solve real problems. So normally we're working with heads of economy or if there's a ministry of innovation or science and technology, we're usually situated at, within those types of initiatives because they dovetail really well together. So an example um, with our Irish program, so we were working with the Cork County Council and we were working with the woman that's responsible for uh, economic growth across the county. And we've, focused on life sciences because there's a strong life science niche specifically in Cork, more so than tech, which is kind of what Dublin's known for. Um, and then in the same type of partnership we have in Spain with the um, government in the Basque region, we work with Vizcaya, which is um, a government agency responsible for not just job growth locally, but also helping companies internationalize. So usually we're, we're part of a, a broader government remit. And that's on, for government partners. On the corporate side, uh, we're working usually, e it's kind of one or the other. So we're either in um, kind of marketing development budget or we're in a very specific um, line item related to growth. And for the challenge-based models for health tech and fintech, corporates will approach mass challenge and say, we want to solve X problem. Find me a company that does this. And we'll 
literally scour the world to find the right grouping of companies and we'll 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 have a pitch day specifically for that corporate to interview those startups. And usually it's around six or 10 and they'll pick one or two to work with for six months uh, internally. So the startups don't physically come to Mass Challenge. Usually they're embedded within the corporate. And is there any specific characteristics of an entrepreneur that you look like, that you think it's across all areas, across all countries? It's like one, two, three main characteristics that you would definitely want to see on an entrepreneur that enters the program? Yeah. What the consistent feedback we've gotten from every pitch round is that judges and corporates are looking for coachability. So they're looking for founders and entrepreneurs that are really passionate and dedicated to solving a problem and not just their own solution. So being able to take feedback and to answer questions and you can suss it out pretty quickly. So the question and answer component of a pitch is very important to both the corporates and the judges because it shows whether you are there just to defend your own idea and that's all you care about? Or are you there because you actually want to work with people, solve a problem, and take feedback in a constructive way? So I'd say coachability is the number one thing we look for. All right. Nice. Well, thank, thank you, everybody. Sorry about my little mic issue there. I managed to hopefully untoggle it. Um, I have a, a bizarre question for you. See uh, what you make of it. So when, when I've been in Boston, it's a good ecosystem. It's a thriving ecosystem. There's a lot going on. You know, when we opened Canopy, we were like the 58th co-working and incubation space in the city. There's a, there's a lot to keep up with. And, and my constant problem was how to keep up with all of it. And so I'd like to ask you, particularly as you're not just Boston, not just Massachusetts, but thinking globally, how on earth do you keep up with everything that comes, that comes to you? Yeah. So as an accelerator or just like getting to be familiar with the innovation community? Like you personally, like how do you keep up with all the different people, all the different things going on? How do you stay current with not just startups, but the other things in the city and everything else going on around you? Yeah, I think it's important to to manage time in a way that is helpful to you in a broader sense. So um, I don't know if people remember like 9,000 years ago, everyone was reading the book, The Four-Hour Workweek. Um and so part of the suggestions that Tim Ferriss had was that you don't actually have to be an expert on anything. You can just surround yourself with people that are experts on things. And then you can use all of their knowledge and all of the time they've spent to become experts to then take your own opinions from that. So the example in the book was about elections and how he reached out to like six friends that had different political opinions that really care about elections. And instead of him spending weeks and weeks and weeks following up on things, he just took pieces of information and then tried to get like a almost like a half-assed decision, but a, a good enough one. For me. Um, I feel like you can kind of do that when it comes to just being on top of events and things. In Boston, pretty much consistently, I think you, were, you probably saw me everywhere all the time. I'm going to like two or three events sometimes a day. Like I'm just always at places. Um, at a minimum, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday evenings, I'm always at something. Um, and usually there's a breakfast or some type of webinar, luncheon, throughout the week as well. So um, especially when I was working for the government, I was I was just always at something. Um, if I was at my desk, I felt like I was not doing my job because my job was not to be behind a computer. My job was to be like meeting companies and creating channels and networks. At Mass Challenge, it's similar where the resources that companies need are not going to come from me just sitting in the office all day and, and trying to be there. It's going to come from me being out and about and getting to know what's happening. Um, when I'm traveling, it's a little bit different. So I spend 
just about half the year on the road and half the year at home. Um, so the way that I've found to stay connected with ecosystems that I'm either involved in and want to stay involved in or regions that I care about is to usually do some type of volunteer activity for another accelerator. So um, in, I do a lot of work in Dubai. I spend one to two months a year in Dubai. And so I work with Womina, which is an accelerator focused on female founders from the Middle East. And so I do some judging for them and I work with their um, partnerships team. I also work with a fintech-based accelerator called FinX. And so I go out there in September for their um, hackathons and awards. And so I'm a judge for that. And that's a really good way for me to stay on top of what's happening in the region. And then for Boston, I'm on a few boards. One is the Boston Irish Business Association, which if anyone's in Boston, it's a very, very Irish city. If you look at me, no surprise, I'm Irish. <laughs> um, <laughs> another group that I'm part of is the Chile Mass Association. And that is, I was appointed by um, the government to represent the Commonwealth. And so it's a board that came from another MOU that Governor Patrick signed with the president of Chile. And it's meant to drive economic development between Chile and the Commonwealth. So there's two of us from Massachusetts and there's two representatives from Chile. And we do a lot of work actually with MIT um, and a lot of work focused on not just um, typical sectors that look like mining, because Massachusetts doesn't have a huge mining sector, uh, but actually things around manufacturing and agriculture. So that's been a, a really interesting way for me to be tied into uh, an ecosystem that's growing. So Santiago and, and Startup Chile in general are doing a lot of really good work and are kind of driving, um, I would say, the South American and Latin American innovation communities further and just having a kind of a bird's eye view on what's happening in that region. You're saying you keep up by moving faster and faster and faster until you're doing so much that you can't, <laughs> nobody can be faster than you. I like it. Okay. I mean, Sorry. <laughs> That's great. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Brittany. And I think you probably will have a very um, interesting perspective on how um, networking, which is so important to your job and for startups and, and everything, being in person and, you know, um, how is that changing for you with this uh, new situation, the new normal? And it's probably going to be around for a while. And how is that working for your network and ecosystems as well in different countries? How are people managing this? It's changing a lot. So. Uh, we had a call on, we're on Friday today. The call was on Wednesday. So for Bebo, we, we used to do these things called First Wednesdays, which were uh, at a pub called Emmett's. And it was literally from five o'clock on, come grab a beer. People can just talk to each other. And it was meant just to be a, like a very just casual thing where people could come and talk to each other. Um, and now we've turned those into virtual hour long sessions um, with the focus of actually having about 30 minutes of curriculum curriculum where it's not, you know, presentations, but talking for a reason. Um, and there's only an hour long. I think people are getting exhausted by being on zoom for eight, 12 hours a day. Um, and they don't want to just sit here and like hear things all the time. So having I think sh shorter engagements for like an hour or so where that's what I'm seeing is successful in terms of investment and whatnot. That's such a, a human driven Industry, which like, trust and reliability is a huge factor to it. So, on a uh, webinar series that was organized by Mint Levin, who does a lot of bringing uh, companies from Ireland, the UK, and parts of Europe into Boston. And the investors they were working with and that were speaking were saying 
that they have funds to invest and so they're still ready to invest in companies, but their network is so much more important and that they're only looking at either founders they know personally or founders and companies that are getting referred to them by uh, personal relationships. So either companies they've invested in or they have some on the board or something like that. So I think it's getting more difficult to, to develop new networks necessarily, um, but digging really deep into the network that you already have and cultivating those relationships that's okay. time. So is it so is it in your opinion that people still want to meet in person that, that they haven't figured out how to build relationships online? Because a lot of people do that um, you know, in other ecosystems. Is it is it more difficult for the people in your ecosystem or is it in general that investors, for example, still want to meet somebody in person before they can actually trust them, let's say? Yeah, I think I think it depends on the investor. I I, I, I think it is really because di- when you're working with an investor and you're taking funds, it's kind of like you're getting married. Honestly, like you're you're in bed with them for you know the life cycle of that investment. And a lot of people are still tied to the idea of, of working together and meeting in person. I think due diligence is taking a little bit longer now than it would. There's not a ton of investments that are happening right now, um, at least that we've seen through our networks and whatnot. There's certainly movement on the company side. So we've helped pivot and develop solutions for COVID. So an example of that would be one of our companies that's based in New York um, that was actually a premium vodka company. They were making like the best vodka in the world and it was just hair, water, and time. Um, they're now just making a hand sanitizer. So yeah. in companies that are, are pivoting and solutions that are coming, we haven't had as many investment updates. But to your actual question, I think People, younger generations of people are more comfortable with kind of these virtual first meetings because everyone's life is online. So if you look from professional networks to dating, everyone's used to having some type of first conversation virtually. Um, but I think there's still a lot of people that need some type of like handshake to, to really matter. Or an elbow bump, there will be maybe handshakes. Yeah, one of these, right? Yeah. I, I gotta be honest, I'm, so I'm half Irish, half Italian, and if you go in the North End or if you go around East Boston, like no one has stopped hugging and kissing or doing anything. Like it's oh. some, like it, like it, when it's embedded in the culture, it's really hard to change it. Mm. True. Sophia, Sophia, what have you got as a question? Yes, from- I actually uh, there, there there's here a question that popped up for a long time now, so I think it's from Nick. Ever said, and he asks, uh, Brittany, does the online program allow startups to move at their own pace more easily? At their own pace more easily? That is a good question. So I would say maybe not. So the main tenets of the program are still the same, where uh, it's four months long, well, three months and a quarter long. There are pitches at certain stages. So over the course of the program, you're still pitching. Um, what is different is that the startups might not feel the same pressure to, to attend as many curriculum sessions. So the way that Mass Challenge likes to present the program is kind of like a buffet where we don't demand that you go to anything necessarily. It's really that you're taking advantage of what's in front of you. So I think startups in terms of their own pace might might take the option where they only want to focus on pitch preparation or mentorship. So um, they can opt out of curriculum. But the main stage gates are still exactly the same, where they have to participate in the pitches at the particular cadence. And at the end of it, they're actually pitching for funding. So 
they're not pitching for an equity-based funding. We don't take equity. We don't charge the program. So we just have grants. And in Boston, uh, the grant pool is just under a million USD. So they're looking at anywhere from uh, starting at $25,000, $50,000, or $100,000 checks. Okay. Then, Brittany, after that, I have my own question. Uh, you talked about how you go to Dubai and help actually on a program that empowers women. I, I think that that's very interesting. Um, right now, you're, actually, right now, we are starting to work with the European Commission initiative just for agri-food sector. Uh, because, um, as, you know, one of the main problems that even if around 80% of people work in the agri-food sector uh, in Europe, I don't know how it is in US, but in Europe, are women, but only one-third actually are leading the company. So you have like a huge uh, discrepancy. So my question to you is, and since you have been helping as well in Middle East, which probably the situation there might be even more acute than it is in Europe, um, the first topic would be, Uh, why is it happening, a uh, first point? Then the second, benchmark a little bit with your experience with U.S., like, uh, because U.S. definitely is, um, is a little bit more advanced in this. I know, for instance, in Boston, there are VCs that only invest in women. Uh, we still don't have that, uh, at least that I know of, in Europe. And then the last point is, um, and since you have such a strong political uh, background, Does this have to start as a political movement or should it be private? Should it be both? Or how do you think, like, how can this actually change? Because at this moment, people talk about these, there are incentives, there are grants, but it's not changing. The numbers, the statistics are still very like a small, small change. So this would be like a three-part question um, of, of your vision. Yeah, so... I think you know we US only got an hour here, right? You know we only got an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there, there are still really staggering uh, pieces of data about investment and the the opportunities for women in innovation and entrepreneurship. So it's still something around less than ten percent of like private capital that goes to female founded businesses. On the flip side, female founded companies are like more profitable and usually just as, if not more successful. So um, I would say that there isn't a huge like shining star that we can hold up um, in the U.S. in terms of investment related to women enterprises um, or women-led enterprises. For Mass Challenge, we have found that our judging process actually is really attractive to female-founded uh, companies. And we're almost consistently just at parity when it comes to the cohorts. So, um, and that's across not just Boston or Texas, but the program that actually is consistently seeing 50% or just over 50% of the companies having at least one female founder is the Mexican program. So the, com the program that is based out of Mexico City and those companies have gone on and raised really significant amounts of money, especially for the market there and are do doing very well. So I think the there's a couple of things here that's a combination of who's running the program, the ability of the actual professional um, capacity and, and like when you have to manage a family or, or have other commitments, it's actually really difficult to found a business. Um, and it's very difficult when there's no security in that job. Um, the other thing is it was interesting when we've run programs in uh, our in Taiwan, Thailand, and Korea was that there were 
just massive numbers of, of female founded companies. It was very different from even the US program. So I think different regions have a different approach. Um, when it comes to investment and when it comes to programs that are expressly focused on female companies or female founded companies, I think that there is still a place for those types of initiatives. Um, some people aren't fond of them. Some people don't like um, kind of the rigidity of having a program, whether it's just for women or just for founders of any particular background. Um, but I still think that at this moment, it's relevant. And I think that there, there, there should be spaces where either whatever your, um, sort of whatever your background is, that you're able to have a support network and a support system. There's a group that's growing in the U.S. called At the Table. And their work is very interesting where they have casual one to two hour dinners together. And it's all women that are founders of tech companies. Uh, and it's meant to be a network to talk about the challenges that they're facing, not just growing their business, but getting access to either the right corporates or the right uh, funders, or even just the, the simple fact of hiring and best practices in hiring uh, and developing a culture within your own company that is supportive of other women joining the team or hiring the right people. Because that's another part where it's super important to start building culture from day one. And if you're building a culture, of, of you know, 12 to 14 hour days with no flexibility, you're not going to be able to actually hire people that are over 30 and others or fathers or whomever. You need to have some type of um, company culture where you can work hard, but also have a work-life balance. That is something that we've seen in our European startups for sure. And our, I would say also the companies that are in the Impulse program more so than the startups that are in the US program. Um, just the, the, the value on work-life balance. Does that, so that, does that answer your question, Sophia? Well, that yes, the third part. <laughs> I don't want to monopolize Britney, so. Okay, okay. So I, I've got a question I, I've been wanting to ask you on this one, which is what is your uh, fondest memory of Deval Patrick, Governor Patrick, uh, working with him and kind of like seeing him around the city and stuff? Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's so many good memories. Um, so one of my best memories of Governor Patrick is actually when he was campaigning and I was still in high school. So this is 2004 at the time. Um, and he came, so I, I grew up in the city and I went to a high school that, um, is now really a, a strong school, but there was uh, a, a really significant amount of uh, youth violence, and we had uh, a murder capita rate. The murder rate per capita was higher than New York for that one couple of years. We were higher than New York. That's incredible. That place, was, you know. <laughs> we had a, a number of really rough years, um, and Governor Patrick actually came and spoke with students um, that had been affected by gun violence and gang violence, and was literally just like, what will change this? What do you all need? And it was really different to see a politician that wasn't just running for city council to, to do that. And so Boston also had the same mayor for 22 years and everyone, most most everyone loved Mayor Reno. I loved Mayor Reno. Um, so there was never a mayoral race during my youth. Like that just didn't happen. It was Mayor Reno for the whole time. Um, so that's one of my favorite memories is like having a politician that actually talks to the people that want to be heard. Um, and then the, the, the consistent memory I have of Governor Patrick is just 
profound compassion. Um, and so there was there was a, a an instance at the state house where um, the state house in Boston is like a beautiful beautiful building, and the state house in Boston is actually older than most of the federal buildings and whatnot. The the U.S. Constitution is based off of the Commonwealth's Constitution um, because of the state we're older than the country, which is makes us feel good about ourselves being from New England. Um, we just have this like epic superiority complex. It's impossible to interact. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, but so there was a, a, a public forum and there's this big grand stair- staircase and there's usually seats in front of it. And Governor Patrick was standing at the podium uh, and this woman was just like shouting and shouting about, you know, something that she was very passionate about. And I don't know if this would fly today, but it worked. Really well. Like you literally just like came out from around the podium and just like gave her a hug. <laughs> and like, she just like calmed down. And then like, they went to the office with like her, like one or two other supporters and, and they just had like a regular like conversation and just like calmed down. And like that moment of like compassion, I think is, was really inspiring. And it was like, people are still humans. And often if they're like screaming and shouting, there's some type of driver behind it because they care about something and something's not right. Um, and that you don't have to always just shout back. So that was one of my like favorite, favorite memories. Um, and then we traveled a lot together the, the last two years of the administration. Um, and so seeing him just like, just jump into different rooms with different people and be able to have a conversation um, and have something relevant, like truly relevant to say in, in all those conversations, like that's super impressive because he would get off of a 12 hour flight, just like shake a suit, get, jump into it and go right to a meeting. Like that's hard to do. Hmm. Yeah. I, I have to say, you know, he obviously helped us uh, with some of the stuff we did with tech hub and, and canopy and, and, my enduring memory of him is uh, watching him walk into the launch party where he'd say, he'd said to us, you know, I don't want any fuss. I don't want any press. I'm just going to step in at the back and shake a few hands and say hello to everybody. And he came in and he, he I think he got off the tee, you know, he just kind of walked into Davis square, which is crazy to think about. He take, he's got a hat on. He's kind of semi incognito. He walks into the back of the room and, everybody's you know the, the event started and there's a speech going on and stuff and everybody's looking forward and he takes his hat off and there's this little ripple where the person next to him realized who it was and it just rippled all around the room everything stopped turned to him and they wanted to shake his hand and they wanted to say hello and everybody i spoke to afterwards and the entire event had a memory had something about governor patrick that they remembered very fondly about a way that he'd interacted with them or a thing he'd done to help them and he did a very good job, and I don't know how real it was, but he did a very good job of making it seem like he knew exactly who everybody was that he met. He, is, he seemed to have this recollection. It was amazing. He's amazing. It, like, he really does, like, take the time to, to get to know people. Um, and he, the thing the, that I thought made him a great politician is that he's not a politician. So his term in office, his two terms in office were the only elected terms he's ever had. Um and like we were, we, we were in Mexico City on a trade mission, and he had just wrapped up uh, a meeting with the uh, transportation secretary because we were trying to recruit a flight from Boston to Mexico City. And so we had these like back to back meetings with the, the people that were working on transportation, the primary airlines, and whatnot. Uh, but then he was, I look over and he's just like sitting on his phone, and like I'm, I'm I'm a staff person, so I'm like responsible for his time and like ushering him places. And I'm like listening into like what he's doing. And he was on the phone with like 
American Express because there was all these like fraudulent charges on his card. And I'm like, I feel like you have like you could have had someone else do that, <laughs> but he was very much like a regular person. And like he used to have the staff over the house um, for like holiday parties and things. And he was it was a just a very kind of inspiring person to work for for sure. And uh, not taking anything away from Governor Baker, like Governor Baker, um, they're 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 more similar than they are different, I would say, which I think people would be surprised by. Um, what is super different is just their their overall demeanor. So um, Governor Patrick is a very measured, very calm person. Um, and Governor Baker is a very like feisty and fiery person. Fantastic. So I could honestly talk to you for an entire day. So I'm going to, I'm going to yield the floor to uh, to Annie for probably, it's probably your last question, Annie, if I may. Yeah. Um, so what would be one tip and one advice you would give startups to to weather this, you know, uh, the, the changed uh, reality that we're living in? What are the one thing that should focus on to continue on the journey? And the similar kind of thing in the similar vein, what is the one um, hope that you'd get from that you that you that you expect from let's say investors and government partnerships that you've got that they will implement from their end to continue the the evolution of these businesses and entrepreneurs. Yeah. So for startups, I would say that customers are your number one focus. So even beyond accelerators, beyond raising capital, if you are going to be selling something, go out and try and sell that. Um, that's really hard to do in a moment like this. So don't spend hours and hours and hours on um, cold outreach or just ex- exhausting your marketing budgets. Try to be really measured and focused and reach out to people that can be channel partners for you. So I think this is when we'll see channel marketing being the most effective strategy for smaller companies because you'll have people that are either comfortable with what you're selling or your product or are interested in listening to you. Um, so I would say using your networks and using the channels, that's where this this moment in time will come in handy. Um, in terms of government and uh, I would say the leaders that are responsible for getting us out of this type of pandemic, um, my hope is that there is a renewed investment and a continued investment into job creation activities. So having either a multiple, well, I'm going to say this just for the U.S. Um, I can't say this for other governments, but for what I would hope on a um, on a state level in the Commonwealth is a continued forbearance on uh, evictions. So helping with the the main pieces of what a company needs to thrive, and not penalizing people for not being able to pay for rent, etc. When there's been no business for the past two three months. So that type of taxation leadership is really important. That's a very wonky answer to say. Um, but legislation in this area is really, really important. And that's what small businesses certainly need. Um, and then from there, I would say uh, programs. This is another like super legislative answer. Um, there are really good programs that are run that support uh, and the ability for companies to recruit talent and having an additional staff when you're a small business is massive. Uh, having those types of incentive programs for the next three plus years to help be able to build out their team and grow their company and have that be a uh, be it money from the state 
that is given in a way that is a reimbursement and not just the state giving out funds directly. Um, I would want to see that type of leadership because that actually helps companies grow with staff and then with capacity. There are also some questions here uh, from the chat. Another one from, from Nick. This goes back a little bit more to your program, Mass Challenge program, yes. uh, which actually has to do with the judging criteria. How is the judging criteria at Mass Challenge and how do you think it's different from the other uh, programs, accelerator programs? Yes. So, one, um, did I answer your question, Ani? Because I, what I yeah. will do is I will send, I'll give it to Stuart. Um, but I can give a link to the program I'm actually talking about. It's run through the Mass Life Sciences Center. Um, and you can essentially, a business can get four staff people um, reimbursed with um, taxpayer dollars, but it has to be run through universities. So it's a combination of, um, okay. so it's, it's an amazing program. Um, so I just didn't want that to get lost somewhere. So I'll make sure, I'll make sure I'll send you the link so people can know what I'm actually Thank talking about. Um, for the judging criteria, um, The mass challenge criteria is based off of impact, which is very different from uh, TechStar to the other accelerators. And um, impact to us means what are you going to be doing that's different than a solution that's already on the market and why does it matter? Um, mm -hmm. And impact is not just finance and, and raising money and you're going to be the most profitable company. It could really just be that you are doing something that matters and will help in the, the broader scheme. And so... Sometimes people think Mass Challenge is just a social impact uh, mm -hmm. accelerator, and we're, we're not. But we definitely have that lens on a lot of what we're looking for is companies that are going to provide solutions and move things forward. So an example of a company that is not going to be a billion-dollar company and they have a product that everyone knows and likes already is one of our wine companies. So it's called Proud Pour. And they're, they're an awesome company. They're a small shop. It's only about six employees total. Um, The red wine that they have is a Pinot Noir, and uh, a portion of that funding goes to planting wildflowers that help support um, bees and the having bees be able to like eat and be happy and grow stuff. Um, they have a white wine that goes to um, oyster farms, and oysters actually grow uh, really well in um, not captivity, but oyster farms um, go this way. For, um, vertically into the water and it like purifies uh, the water and they, they're, they, they help um, the aquaculture of, of where they're growing. Um, so their white wine goes to help funding that. And they have a cider um, that goes to some other um, initiative. So that's a company that it's a product that we know was successful because it's, you know, alcohol. Uh, it is a special company because their money is back into um, a system that needs support and that, doesn't necessarily align with billion dollar tech initiative, yeah. but really good company that we're excited about to have. Oh, it. Um, and so now actually at mass challenge events, we serve pretty much all alumni booze, which is kind of fun. Um, oh, it's really cool. So we have like five or six different companies from the Boston program over the past few years that are in like the beverage space um, from Archer Roost to proud Four to farmer Willie's. So a lot of different, um, different options and it's cool to be able to support our alumni in that way um so the criteria is on impact and that's what's different and the other thing is the fact that we don't have judging in a sense where there's five judges we need alignment that three say advance two say don't so the company advances mm -hmm. Each individual judge is contributing to a score um so the judges have 
their kind of independence where one judge might give a 10, one judge might give a one or whatever. And the companies advance based off of their scores because we usually have five to seven judging rooms happening at the same time. Okay. And then there's also one last question from Tijana, which is a little bit more as, as a project manager, let's say. What have been your biggest learnings by actually building this, this, this program, this accelerator? Uh, what were the wrong turns? What were your main challenge? And what were, you, were your key lessons learned? Yeah, I think... And you can do that in two minutes or less. Right? Uh, so partnerships are important and making sure that you're taking the time to get to know who you're working with. And certainly on the international side, we make sure that we have alignment when it comes to values. So that I would say is the main thing that we've learned over the years is that um, money isn't everything and a sexy region isn't everything. And, you know, just having names and titles and things isn't, it doesn't mean that you're doing the best thing for the startups or the organization. So I would say a fundamental alignment on values is super mm -hmm. important. The other thing is growing strategically. So we like tried to be everywhere. Um, and it didn't work out for us. We had an office in London for a few years. And at the same year we opened that, we opened Israel and Mexico. The next year we opened up health tech and Switzerland. And it was just wild. It was too much. And we didn't take the time the same way we did for Mexico to try to get to know London. So with Mexico, we had run a bridge program for two years. We had strong support. We had a really strong board of advisors. Um, we had money coming from both governments, corporates, and uh philanthropic groups that were focused on entrepreneurship. So we were very much engaged with the right people. In London, we went on a trade mission with the government, which was great. We had some government support, but we didn't have the same level of board okay. advisors and network. Um, and we ended up closing that office because it just wasn't going to be sustainable. So okay. I think gr grow smart, not fast. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Good wrap up. So we're at the end of our time. And like I say, I could honestly speak uh, in this forum for the next day and still be very happy with what's going on. So thank you so much for spending your time with us today, Brittany. It's really, really been amazing. And uh, thank you, Annie. And thank you, Sophia, for being here to kind of, you know, enrich the discussion and ask your own questions and stuff. I guess uh, the thing I'd ask you to leave us with, Brittany, is... Um, these vids are principally for first-time founders so to get some inspiration and some understanding of you know what makes people tick and i wonder if you could leave them with a, a piece of advice you know if, if there's a first-time founder watching you right now what would you like to say to them yeah be bold so make the asks and reach out to people directly so i think right now you have captive audiences or people are home and bored and losing their minds so reach out to anyone that you can If there's someone in the Mass Challenge Network that you think you want to get in touch with, add me on LinkedIn, hit me up, and I can see if I can get you to the right people. That be very direct uh, and don't waste people's time. So don't just have a coffee just and be like, oh, I'm going to have a coffee and oh, what am I going to do? Um, be honest with what your open is. Be like, I think you're really cool. I want to get to know you. Or I want to talk to you because this is what I'm doing. I want to get down to business. So I would say honesty and direct. Fantastic that I want to see. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So I wish you all a lovely weekend. I can tell you it here it's a national holiday in the UK, so I'm going to enjoy the rest of the day. Uh, <laughs> lovely to see you all. And uh, thank you, everybody, for watching this today. Give your fist bump to say bye-bye. Yes. <laughs> and a round of applause for Brittany. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brittany. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Stay safe.
Thank you for listening to the Founder Friday podcast series. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. If you'd like to recommend an entrepreneur or innovator for a future edition, please go to our website, www.canopy.community, and tell us all about them. This series is made possible by the kindness of the members of Hashtag Tribe, along with support from our sponsors, Damia Recruitment, Core Angels Investment, and Ideas Spaces and Coworking. Obrigadíssimo todos! <laughs>